Welcome to Ales and Strange Tales. We are your hosts, Chris Moyers and Dan Stickney. We like to crack open a beer or two and share tales of the supernatural, paranormal, and just plain strange. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and dive into the strange with us. Welcome back to Ales and Strange Tales, Season 4, Episode 2. Two, 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 two. We have a new budget now. We have special effects, so hope you guys <laughs> like it. Well, we have some more stories for you. Um, I have another one from Troy Taylor. Oh, Troy. I read through it a bit, so hopefully yeah. it's not a complete dud you, you, again. You're reading these fucking things before you read them? Kind of. You gotta read them before cool. you read them. Yeah. <laughs> Let's skim through it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it seems interesting. It is entitled... <laughs> The Corpsewood Manor Murders. Corpsewood. Yeah. So, so there's corpses and corpsewood. Yeah. You would think. Yikes. So that's cool. What do you got, Dan? Well, I got an anonymous story from possible listener. And I think it's a, uh, well, I know it is. It's a Bigfoot story. Bigfoot story. Up in uh, Michigan. Michigan? That should be cool. Upper Peninsula. I've been to Michigan a few times. I did not see Bigfoot. It's pretty nice. I did go to uh, a camping excursion with some buddies a couple years ago in Indiana. Well, it's not Michigan. I know, but, <laughs> motherfucker, it was known sightings of Bigfoot in these particular woods. Oh. And we did hear trees getting pushed over, but I did right. see some asshole with an axe chopping him down. Well, there you go. So maybe it was him at fucking <laughs> 2 o'clock in the morning scaring the fuck out of me. <laughs> anyway, what are you drinking tonight, Dan? Well, uh, I got this cool beer. It's a uh, noon whistle, I believe. I got Naperville, Lombard and Naperville to make it. And they did a little series of hazy IPAs. I think one for the bullshit White Sox. You, I know you don't like the White Sox, do you? I don't like baseball in general. <laughs> but, yeah, that is true. I but this that. one is, you know, they made one for the Cubs. It's called Cubby Gummy. So you are a Cubs fan, I take yes. it. Yes, yes, and it's a uh, six point one. You know, it's got the they're kind of like the Kobe colors, like their pinstripe jersey, white and little blue pinstripe. I do know that. Yeah, it look, it's pretty neat. So I'm like, yeah, I gotta get that. It is good. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Well, I have a Miller Genuine Draft <laughs> because I didn't get any beers and I stole it. <laughs> and this is coming out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, it is so, Wisconsin. Kind of yeah. local. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you. You went to a concert last night wearing our podcast shirt. I did. Did anything come of that? Not of my knowledge. Nobody asked, but maybe somebody actually, you know, scanned the code. Yeah, we have a barcode in the back of our uh, Ales and Strange... Yeah, it is Ales and Strange Tales. What am I talking about? We <laughs> <laughs> renamed it. Or I don't know what I thought. But there was a barcode to scan to get more information. And I, no yeah. one asked to scan it, I take it, right? No, but you don't have to. You just like you're going to do it. If they're sitting or standing behind me. Yeah, they, they just scan your shit. and Takes, us to, takes you to the uh, Facebook page and whatnot. And yeah, hopefully maybe they did. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Either way, we're getting the word out there with the t-shirts. Yeah, I try to do that. If we had more than one listener, we'd have a merch area to go looking at. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Get maybe more listeners and uh, we can sell some shirts. Yeah. 
We'll be happy to take your money. Because I think our me. logo is pretty fucking cool. And it, does it is cool. Thanks to uh, Dan's brother's friend. I think it was Melissa, maybe. I, don't, I can't remember. I think it's Melissa. I think or, so. No, Michelle. It's Michelle. Michelle sounds right. Yeah. Um, and do we have any? Oh, I know there's some uh, conventions coming up local. I doubt we'll go to them because we don't have any fucking free time other than Fridays. Work, work, work. But we'll see. Moving, moving, moving. Oh, yeah. Dan got a new house, kind of. Well, temporary uh, situation. Sold the house. And it's been a, well, nobody cares, but it's been pretty stressful moving. And you were there. You know what it's all about. Yeah. It was uh, a warm day. I know that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But anyway. All all I got to say is moving the mattress up the stairs was a horrific experience. That was the worst part. It weighed about, I don't know, 400 pounds, it seemed <laughs> it, like. It seemed like it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the most interesting story you'll get tonight, but yep. uh, we'll try and change your minds on that. <laughs> Who wants to go first? I think you should go first. I will go first. We may have a strange news if we have time. I think so, maybe. So let's jump right into it. Thank you, Troy Taylor, once again for another riveting story. Good old Troy. Like I said, this is the Corpsewood Manor murders. Here we go. On December 12, 1982, a rustic retreat in the woods of Georgia became a house of horrors. The name of the house, Corpsewood Manor, seems like something right out of a, right out of a horror novel. Yeah. But on that dark night, the terror was unbelievably real. The story began in Chicago, six years before the murders. Dr. Charles Scudder was a professor of pharmacology at Loyola University. He was wealthy, respected, and described as brilliant. But Scudder eventually tired of city life and longed to go back to nature. It was the 1970s after all, and the searching out the simple life was all the rage. Hippies. Probably. (laughs) He quit his job, sold off most of his belongings, and moved with his two dogs and longtime partner Joseph Odom to a 40-acre parcel of land that the couple purchased in the woods outside of Somerville, Georgia. Living in a camper, Scudder and Odom built by hand a strange structure that would become Corpsewood Manor. They built it themselves. Oh, wow. wow. Named for the hauntingly bare autumn trees that dotted their land. When they finished, they had not merely built a two-story brick home, what they called an elegant mini-castle, but several outbuildings, including a three-story chicken house. The first floor was for the poultry and food storage, the second for canned goods, and the couple <laughs> and the couple's pornography collection, and the third for their pink room, also known as their pleasure chamber. Whoa! Freaks. Shit, I might know this story. (laughs) (laughs) In the 1970s and early 1980s, being openly homosexual had been acceptable in a city like Chicago, but in rural Georgia, the couple had to keep their lifestyle quiet. Oh yeah, not down in Georgia. Yep. But But being gay wasn't their only secret. They were also official members of the Church of Satan, Oh. which could have had severe repercussions at a time when Satanic panic was sweeping the country at the time. Believe it or not, these were not their only secrets. They were full of secrets. Secret, secret. They got a secret. (laughs) (laughs) Even at Loyola, Dr. Scudder's work was not that of a typical academic. For one, he performed government-funded experiments with mind-altering drugs like LSD. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, he did things like dye his hair purple and keep a pet monkey. Wow. Whoa. These guys are getting awesome. Yeah. And when he left Loyola for Corpsewood Manor, he took a few souvenirs with him, including two human skulls and about and about 12,000 doses of LSD. Holy Toledo. <laughs> That's a lot. Well, we know shit's going to get weird now. Oh, yeah. His sanctuary in Georgia woods was guarded by two mastiffs. Is that how you pronounce these stupid-ass dogs? Big-ass dogs. Beelzebub, which was named for a demon, and Arsenith? Arsenith? Arsenith. It's a drug and an Arsenio Hall mixed together, it sounds like. That's weird. (laughs) Which was straight out of an H.P. Lovecraft story. Scudder and Odom decorated Corpsewood Manor with skulls, gothic trappings, and even a gargoyle. Scudder also fashioned a stained-glass window that was decorated with the goat-headed Baphomet. And while Scudder took his Satanism seriously, it's important to understand what exactly that religion meant to him. Scudder, like other members of the Church of Satan, didn't really worship Satan. He was instead an atheist who chose to celebrate the worldly pleasures that he and other church members felt were denied to humans by mainstream religion. And they certainly celebrated. Scudder and Odom liked to invite guests over for for wild sex parties in the pink room, which was filled with mattresses, candles, whips, change, pornography, and even a logbook that listed guests' sexual preferences. Oh, wow. But while these acts were reportedly consensual, the pink room parties are the reason that on the night of December 12th, 1982, Corpsewood Manor turned into a blood-soaked scene of horror. Many of Scudder and Odom's guests traveled to Georgia from Chicago to take part in the wild parties, but there were also a number of locals on the guest list. Among those invited for parties and sexual adventures of one kind or another were 17-year-old Kenneth Avery Brock and his roommate Samuel West, 30. Although little information is available and reports vary, it's believed that Brock had several sexual encounters with Scudder at Corpsewood. Eventually, Brock brought West there for more of the same, or at least for the free booze and drugs. But West was not in the partying mood. Not that kind of party, anyway. (laughs) He not only strongly objected to the homosexual activity that was going on, but he managed to convince Brock that Scudder had taken advantage of him. I thought Brock and this other dude were in a homosexual relationship, but I guess that's not true. Just roommates. Just roommates. He worked on him over the next several days, finally getting him angry enough to go along with West's hastily concocted plan to return return to Corpsewood and rob Scudder and Odom. Brock and West, with two teenagers named Joey Wells and Teresa Hudgens, along for the ride, headed to Corpsewood Manor on December 12th. When they arrived at Corpsewood, everything started out like normal. They were greeted warmly by Scudder, and all of them climbed the 40-foot ladder into the pink room, where they sat around drinking Scudder and Odom's homemade wine. They also indulged in a potent huffing mixture of varnish, paint thinner, and other chemicals. Yo. That's not good for you. Just take the LSD. (laughs) Yeah, drink the wine, man. Come on. At some point during this drug and alcohol-fueled haze, Brock got down to business and retrieved a rifle from the car. Scudder was held at knife point in order to give up his fortune that Brock and Wes assumed he had He lived in a castle, after all. Odom was surprised in the kitchen of the main house and shot four times. Brock also killed the couple's two mastiffs, who never stirred from their place beside the fire. They are not really good guard dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Bound and gagged, Scudder was led from the pink room to the main house, 
when he found the body of his partner. His last words were supposedly, I asked for this before Wes shot him five times in the head. Jeez. What he meant by those cryptic final words is just one of the mysteries left behind by the brutal slayings in the woods of Georgia. When Brock and West realized there was no money in the house, they grabbed a few things and ran. They fled the scene in Scudder's Jeep, which had white pentagrams painted on the doors. <laughs> the bodies of Scudder and Odom weren't found until two days later when a friend came by their isolated house. Meanwhile, looking for a less conspicuous getaway vehicle, smart, yeah. Brock and West kidnapped Navy Lieutenant Kirky Phelps from a rest stop near Baniva, Mississippi with the intention of tying him to a tree and stealing his vehicle. While Brock was unloading the Jeep, however, West shot Phelps twice. The two men split up, perhaps feeling remorseful. Brock returned to Georgia and surrendered to police on December 20th. West did the same in Chattanooga, Tennessee, December 25th. The story of the murders became fodder for a press that was hungry for a sensational story. Sex, murder, Satanism. What else could they ask for? <laughs> Unfortunately, the mess that followed Charles Scudder and Joseph Oldham were victimized once again as being two openly gay men with an interest in the occult in the 1980s. In the trials that followed, both men were found guilty. Brock received three consecutive life sentences, while West was sentenced to death. His death sentence was later overturned on appeal. Today, both men re remain behind bars. Good. But that was not quite the end of the story. Oh. It wasn't long before rumors began to circulate about Corpsewood Manor. Even before a fire destroyed most of the non-brick portions of the buildings, people were claiming that the house was haunted. Even to this day, those who visit the ruins of the Corpsewood Manor say that they hear gunshots, weeping, cries for help, the barking of dogs, and even eerie music being played. <laughs> a few unwise visitors carried a brick away with them from the crumbling remains of the building only to find that bad luck follows within it Fools. the physical remains of the house are said to be cursed by the horrible events that occurred there truth or legend who knows I feel like I've heard that somewhere I maybe, do too maybe I, on TV or something I think there was more they talked about the murders that or the murder that occurred after from what I remember but I it could know. be a different thing so, if you are one of the adventure seekers who want to visit the ruins of Corpsewood Manor, be respectful of the tragedy that occurred there years ago, and don't bring anything home with you, just in case. Yeah. So, that's kind of wild. Yeah, that's a good story. Um, I gotta grab a beer. Not sure if I heard this particular one, but I've heard a, a story similar to this, at least. It definitely sounded. Dan's leaving for whatever fucking reason while it's his turn to talk. <laughs> but anyway, that's a wild story. Yeah. Um, moving on, just so we have enough time to fit in weird news, what do you got for us, Dan? You got an anonymous... Bigfoot story. Anonymous Bigfoot story. All right. Um, Michigan, Upper Peninsula, Bigfoot. 1984. I was alone at the house... Nighttime in the sticks. I was laying down in my bed with a Walkman on. I woke up to a horrible smell in my room. I turned to the window. It was a screen. I saw a massive head with long hair, and I flipped out. Ran into the living room and grabbed my dad's 357, loaded it, walked around the house, and turned on every light. Came back to the living room 
and grabbed the deer rifle, loaded it, <laughs> went outside to the porch, shot the 357 Magnum in the air, locked up, fell asleep. The whole house had that smell. You know, like, Bigfoot's apparently smell really bad. Sulfurish kind of. I went outside, walked around to my window for clues. I went in, got a tape measure. From the bottom to the window in the daylight was nine feet to the bottom of my window. Whatever it was, was at least ten feet tall. It didn't come back after I shot the 357 in the air, and I screamed at it. I was so... It was so black and tall, quiet, and stunk horrible. Blew my mind. I had just turned 16. I didn't get a good vibe from it. Menominee, Menominee, Michigan, to Stevenson, Michigan. From there on, I never wandered too far and always took a gun if I did. That encounter is burnt in my mind permanently. This made me a believer. Michigan woods have secrets. It shook me up pretty good. You know, I replied, low. Yeah, cool, man. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, more than that, but... <clears throat> uh, I asked him if he found any footprints by any chance, and he continues on. I looked everywhere in the yard, looked in the garden, checked my whole area, nothing. It took me a while to wrap my head around the encounter. It never came back. But when I go to the woods, I felt it people may not know this they see us they meaning Bigfoot see us up to a hundred yards away they spot you before you spot them when it was near me in the woods the birds stopped making noise the wood the woods would go silent if it wanted to take me out it could it left me alone here's the thing even with very powerful guns I got the feeling the guns wouldn't stop it. My body shook for hours. It was adrenaline and confusion and a deep fear. And it was after our chickens, question mark though. <laughs> our dog Highway saw it also. That dog wasn't scared of anything. I brought him in the house. He wasn't right for a day or two. If you see one, leave them alone. They don't want contact with us. We are too violent. They have watched us kill everything in the woods since we first arrived. Ends there. Like, yeah, well, you know, it's true. I wouldn't. Well, maybe if I saw one, maybe I would try to pursue, but. If I had a weapon on me. Yeah, if I don't, yeah, I forgot no gun, but I would love that photo. Yeah, <laughs> old video, something, but yeah. I ain't chasing with no rifle on me or nothing like that. That would freak the shit out of me, like a 10 foot fucking. Ape man or something like that. Yeah, like you shoot him and he still comes at you. Yeah. You're fucked, man. Yeah. I would, oh, man, I would love to see a Bigfoot. Well, we could go camping in those Indiana woods again. Yeah. Like but apparently, away. Illinois is a big hot spot. Really? Uh, that's what I heard. Probably southern Illinois, then, right? More likely, you know, wooded areas, you know, heavily wooded areas. Probably southern, more than likely. Because there's some Ozarks in southern Illinois, I hear. Oh, yeah. Could be in that region. Very interesting. Very awesome story. From Thank you for that submission, anonymous person. Whoever you are. And that brings us to our next segment. Strangers, strangers. strangers. <laughs> <laughs> 
should I go? I got a short little one here, or do you got something rocking and rolling? Uh, I got something. You can start it. Well, this comes to us from ABC20 WCJB. <laughs> Man wearing cat costume stands his roommate in the neck. Yo, cat costume. This is out of Janesville, Florida. A man is charged with attempted murder after... I don't know how to pronounce anything. <laughs> Alachua County Sheriff's deputies say he stabbed his roommate in the neck while dressed as a feline. <laughs> <laughs> According to the arrest report, the victim was in his room on Tuesday when Omar Gutierrez, 32, walked up behind him wearing a cat costume. Gutierrez then plunged a knife into the back of his roommate's neck. The victim asked Gutierrez why he stabbed him. Gutierrez <laughs> said it was instinctual. <laughs> what the fuck? It was instinct, bro. Wow. The roommate called 911, and when emergency crews arrived, he was pouring blood from his neck. He was rushed to the hospital. When the detective spoke with the victim in the hospital, he explained that Gutierrez said a week earlier that he was not above killing the victim. What the fuck? And he stayed? What the fuck? <laughs> Gutierrez claimed the roommate hurt his cat, which he denies. <laughs> so, apparently, he hurt his cat, so he dressed like a cat and stabbed him in the back of the fucking neck. Well, if somebody hurt my cat, they might be getting stabbed, too. <laughs> Are you going to put a fucking feline costume on as well? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Or get some claws and claws face open. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what strange news do you got for us today? <laughs> Where to go now? I lost it. Well, well I got this one. I got this seven one. Seven minutes long. Um, fuck, I lost them both. <laughs> okay. This is pretty weird. I think this is another Florida story. Fucking Florida. Crazy town of Florida. State. <laughs> we know what's the state, guys. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> All right, uh, police have charged a Florida man, you know, this crazy Florida man, with battery after allegedly striking his wife in the face with a slice of pizza. (laughs) (laughs) According to Marion County Sheriff's Office, police were dispatched to a home on March 17th, I believe it's this year. Oh, this is off of good old WGN TV. There you go. Um... After a 911 hang-up during a possible domestic disturbance, when they arrived, they made contact with the suspect, Ortelio Alfonso, 39, who told officers he had a verbal altercation with his wife. (laughs) The probable cause statement reported that the two began arguing if the woman physically disciplined the couple's son by spanking him. A lot of... These days, a lot of kids need a good spike. Yeah, they sure do. <laughs> As reported by the smoking gun, the argument turned violent when Alfonso grabbed a slice of pizza and slapped her <laughs> in the left side of her face with it. Domestic violence is not good. We're just laughing because this is fucking pizza, weird. Man. <laughs> yeah, it's pizza. <laughs> the responding officer reported seeing that the victim had pizza, quote unquote, pizza sauce over the front, over the. What? It's, it repeats it. Pizza sauce over the front. What the fuck? <laughs> Pizza sauce over the front, over the front of her skirt. Shirt. What the fuck are they? I, 
This reporter, reporter. Reporters need to check the shit before they put it out. Pizza sauce over the front of her shirt, the collar of her shirt, and the rear portion of her shirt. Oh no, I hope she's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I also observed the victim to have remnants of pizza in her hair and ear area. (laughs) That's to be expected, I guess. (laughs) I observed there to be pizza sauce on the walls and the ceiling of the kitchen area, which further corroborated the victim's statement. He <laughs> continues. During questioning, Alfonso, Alfonso reportedly admitted hitting his wife with the pizza. He was booked into jail on charges of simple battery and is scheduled to appear on court March 29th, which already happened. And hopefully she leaves that crazy fucker. Well, it depends. Did he... Like, put the piece of pizza in his hand and, like, actually slap her? Yeah. <laughs> or did he just take the slice of pizza and slap her with the slice of I pizza? I guess that's two, a little, two different scenarios. Because, you know, getting slapped in the face is one yeah. thing. Getting with slapped his, with a piece of pizza. It's different, I it's, guess. It's a bit different. It's more of a food fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> think about so, it that way. <laughs> but, yeah, if it's with his hand and the pizza. Then it's less Time humorous. to leave, girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take the kid. <laughs> Well, apparently she's beating the fuck out of the kid, too, so who knows what's going well, on. Yeah. I'm sure the kid deserved it, though. Kids are wild these days. Yeah, some a lot of kids need some fucking discipline. Yeah, <laughs> maybe with a pizza slice. Maybe he'll learn his lesson then. Get some sausage in his eye. <laughs> and another thing, pizza in Florida probably sucks real bad anyway, oh, so it's God, not like you're wasting imagine. anything good. It's probably just thin and flimsy bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it ain't no square cuts, I'll tell you that. Oh, God. Get that shit in St. Louis and Chicago. Well, it probably wasn't a deep dish. No. <laughs> Nothing good in Florida, food-wise. Unless you like Cubans. Cubans are good, the sandwich. Well, like, let's say seafood, but everything's fried down Every time I go there, everything's fried. Yeah, fried gator and shit like it's that. Like, Jesus Christ. It's not my heart's good. Gonna, yeah. Clogging my shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say Chicago's the mecca for the best food in the world. That's what I think. It is. And in a lot of, like, yeah, they have some of the best chefs, restaurants. It is It is said. You can look on the internet. We have the best. Yeah. And without a doubt, the best pizza. Without a doubt. Not fuck even. New, fuck New York. Yeah. Fuck New York. <laughs> Chicago is where it's at. I sent my brothers the John's on Bleecker to try that, which is supposed to be one of the best pizza places in New York. And he said it sucks. <laughs> But he's a little bit biased because he loves Chicago-style pizza as well. Well, yeah. I'm sure there's some good pizza out there, but it's not as good as here. I second that. Well, right. But that about sums it up for this episode. Um, Hopefully, we will be handing out flyers. I'm going to keep saying that until we do. (laughs) Send us hate mail to actually do it so we shut up about it. Any mail. And our email is alesandstrangetales at gmail.com. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram. Send us some stories, please. Type them out. Voice record them. Send them our way. Do what you got to do, but we need them. We definitely need them. Anyway, this is Chris Moyers. Dan. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>